Welcome to the Brain Trust Driving Change Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Bloomfield. Whether you're a leader, a coach, a salesperson, or even a parent, this podcast focuses on how to leverage the science of decision-making to help you become a more impactful communicator and a driving force for change. All right, welcome back to the Driving Change Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Bloomfield, and today I've got somebody that I can't wait for you to hear her story. Um, she's known as Principal Wayman, but uh, Linda Linda Clyatt Wayman, is, uh, she is a change agent. And since this is the Driving Change Podcast, I will tell you this, uh, Principal Wayman, now don't get nervous on me out there. Here, I got a principal on the line. For, for those of you who spend a lot of time in the principal's office, I don't want you to get nervous and not listen now. You're adults out there. We can take this, right? <laughs> so, 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 Linda, Principal Wayman, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. Oh, thank you for inviting me, Jeff. I'm really looking forward to it. Now, for those of you who may not be familiar with her story, I'm going to let her tell most of it. But I will tell you this. Is she comes from the inner city in Philadelphia uh, where she, was, she, she grew up around a lot of, of things that many of us cannot even possibly imagine and became passionate about driving change in her area, but really passionate about helping kids see hope where, there, where there's hopelessness. But I want to backtrack a little bit because she's helped transform schools that were, you know, the top dangerous schools in, in America to schools where people, where kids were graduating and having hope in the future. And there's so many things I want to get into with you, but I really want to start with kind of that origin story for you, right? Because you had a mama in your life who, who put that spark in you. Is that right? That is absolutely correct. Uh, Jeff, I, I wouldn't be here today if it wasn't for my mother. I, I remember when we were growing up, I had two other sisters and my mother was raising us pretty much alone. And everyone in our family lived in poverty. And, and we actually lived blocks from each other. And my mother would always say to us, it's more than to life than this street. She would say, quote, there's more to life than Judson Street. So she knew that in order for us to aspire to be more, we had to see more. So every mm. Sunday, every Sunday, she would take the bus schedules for the nearby bus routes. After church, she would throw the bus schedules on the table and she would say, okay, what schedule are we, what bus route are we going to ride today? And we would ride that bus route from one end of the city to the, end of the other end of the city. And she always chose Sunday because Sunday... It was actually free for children. Only adults had to pay. And all along our journey, she would say, if you want that particular house, Linda, you have to go to school. Mm. If you want that particular thing, you have to go to school. She would always tell us she, did not, she had no idea what was outside of our community, but it had to be more and education had to be the key. Wow. That's pretty powerful. So. That idea that so many of us out there, we limit ourselves to what we see in our environment. And sometimes we just need that person who can come alongside of us. In an ideal world, it's a parent. But for many, for many folks, it may not be. And someone's got to come alongside them and point them to a place that's beyond where they are, even if they themselves have not seen it. Your mom hadn't been, she didn't know what was out there, but she just knew that she had a hope that for you girls, there was something more out there than Judson Street. And that's the way she saw it. And she kept always saying it over and over and over again, that it has to be more out there. I can't imagine that this is like, this is it. I just can't imagine that. And so by her, you know, just being innovative to say, well, let's just ride the bus. 
Yes. Let's just point things out. I don't have any money. I can't take you on vacation. We never took vacations. We never really went out of the community unless we rode these bus routes. But it was her way of saying, let's just go see what's out there. Every right. child needs someone to do that for them. That, that's amazing. Now, tell me about her her drive on education was so I, I'm guessing I, I don't know I don't want to I don't want to predict this but I'm guessing she wasn't just hey if you get your homework done that's great don't worry about it she probably was a pretty I would think about as a stickler from an education standpoint yeah well my mom was a change agent even in her day because back when we were younger um, the de- desegregation in the community was just starting and I remember someone from the school district going door to door, knocking on every door in our community. And the question was, we want to put your children in this desegregation program. We want to bus your children out of this neighborhood so that they would travel an hour and a half on a bus to go to school. And the person from the school district knocked on every single door on that street. Every single one of the neighbors said no in fear of sending their child out of the community. And my mother was the only parent that said yes. And Mm. she said yes because she was a firm believer that seeing things, being around diversity, being around other people would get us to understand and learn and grow better. So she was a change agent long before, you know, it was even possible. That's that's amazing. In in some ways, I see you now and I know your story a little bit. And I think about you and I were talking about this in the pre-show that it, it takes one choice, right? I, you know, my papa made that choice in Kentucky and it changed the multiple, multiple generations that I can just imagine your mom feeling the pressure of the community she was in where people were, were used to just kind of saying, Hey, this is, this is who we are. We're not going to leave here. We're going to, we're going to hunker down and this is the best it's going to be. And we just got to deal with it. And your mom having that moment where she made that one choice to say they they might they may not do this but I have girls and I know there's more in them than Judson Street so I'm going to I'm going to make that one choice that's amazing it was amazing and she was ridiculed for it they thought that it was the craziest thing that she would ever do to put us in danger to do that um my mother didn't believe that we were in danger she really believed that this was our opportunity and she was going to take that choice. And because of that choice, Jeff, it changed the entire trajectory of my life. And that's why working with children in poverty in schools became my life work. But because because we were bused outside of the community to go to school, it, I was able to see how learning was actually supposed to take place. And so when we got to be in high school, my mother said, okay, I made the decision that you all would have to be bust out of the neighborhood to go to school for K through eight. But when you get to high school, you can select any high school you want to select. That's when I saw the inequities in education because I chose to go to the neighborhood high school. And that's where I was absolutely shocked at the difference in education. And that's wow. what started me on this path. Wow. Um- and thank goodness it did, because the, ch- the change you've been able to make for so many kids since then. And, and again, for those that are listening out there today, I tell my, I have a fresh a daughter who's a freshman in college, and I, I've told her since she was old enough to understand the words coming out of my mouth, the choices you make today determine the options you have tomorrow. And 
she knows that she's, you know, she, she can regurgitate those sayings over and over in her mind. And I think back to your mom's choices and then, then that allowed you to have a different perspective. It allowed you to become passionate about something. It allowed you to start to see the gifts that were divinely inspired inside of you to make a difference. <clears throat> so you, it, it isn't about getting out of a place. It's about lifting up a place. Exactly. It's about taking your gifts, whatever gifts they may be, and coming back to help someone else. Mm. So I always talk to my students about it's you know, if you make it out, meaning you go get an education, you go see different things, it it is your duty to come back to help to sort support someone else coming out. That's what I believe, and that's why, even with my own children. They would ask me all the time, mom, do you can constantly have to go back to that community to help someone else? I say, I have to. Right. Well, and you'd be doing your kids a disservice if they didn't understand that too, right? Because that's starting to help them see. And it's okay to take generations and you always want the generation coming after you to have a better life than the one you had. But at the same time, there's always this idea of how do we go lift up the, the folks around us, right? Absolutely. And that's what I always want to do. And, I, and that's exactly why I chose education, because I believe that is the equalizer for all children and all people. Yeah, I was thinking about this as I was um, doing some research on, on this episode, is we teach this to some of our clients. There's a professor out there, his name is Dr. George Land, and years ago in the 60s, and you'll love this, NASA recruited him to find out what made some of their astronauts really creative problem solvers, whereas others were just kind of average. And so he built this test to go in and, and analyze all these astronauts. And what he found was fascinating. It worked really, really well, so well that they asked him to say, hey, how do we take this test and identify kids at an early age that are naturally inclined to be creative problem solvers mm. and see things that aren't even there? And so we can start to groom future astronauts. So now. That's where they started this study, uh, Linda. And here's what happened. He took it out to 1,600 five-year-olds. Wow. And he put them through the same test on a scale of average to below average problem solvers all the way to this category of creative genius problem solvers. That was the top score. 1,600 five-year-olds, 98% of them scored creative genius problem solvers Ooh. at five years old. At five years old. So now check this out, because this is right where I want to ask you where we're going. They decided to then make a longitudinal test and follow these kids and test them again every five years. And these were mostly public school kids. At 10 years old, the number dropped from 98% to 30%. At 15 years old, it dropped from 30% to 12%. And by the time they were 20 years old, only 2% of that same population scored creative genius problem solving because of the way our education system and by the way, Linda, this is a, a good, normal education system. Now, imagine the environment that you have, have brought these kids out of. And we're expecting them to just come out and be these successful entrepreneur, creative thinking people who don't even know that the system is rigged against them. And so I, I say that to say for you, one of the questions I have for you is, I was taken aback by just how much change you had to implement in the school systems that you went into. And the thing that struck me was you didn't come in and try to fix the kids first. You had to come in and you had to fix the environment. Tell us about that. Exactly right. My last challenge at my last school, every, and it was a labeled a persistently dangerous school. And it had been on a persistently dangerous list for five consecutive years. So everyone thought that it was a kid problem. 
These kids are terrible. They're incorrigible. They can't learn. It's absolutely awful. But I never looked at any child as being awful, any child as being incorrigible. I always said to myself that if the environment wasn't working, it was something that the adults need to change. So when I went into this particular school, I told all of the adults, first of all, we have to erase the notion that it's kids. And then what we have to do is put systems in place so we can change the environment in the school. The children in the school, Jeff, really believed that they, and I remember I held my first town hall meeting and I brought all the kids into the auditorium and I went over this elaborate um, discipline cycle that I was going to go over with rewards and prizes and things we were going to do if the kids helped change their environment. And a kid stood up in the back and he said, you know, Miss Wayman, why are you telling us about your rules and your consequences and your rewards? Don't you know we do what we want to do? And right then and there, I knew why the school was persistently dangerous. Because how was the environment such that you had over four or 500 kids actually believe they could come to a school and do what they wanted to do? Because in past years, Jeff, there was nothing in place to try to make school fun, to make school a learning environment, and to change the environment. What these kids had to understand was that discipline was a part of life. Love was a part of life. And I told my staff that we're here to love children. And once we love the children and they show that we do love them, the environment will begin to change. And it did. And it did. That's, that's fantastic. And I think what we hear, you hear the expression a lot. And sometimes we use it as an excuse. Well, so-and-so is just a product of their environment. Mm-hmm. Right? We, we hear that expression a lot. And in your case, these kids were coming from many, many single-parent homes. Many times they didn't even have a parent around. There's crime. There's drugs. There's murder. There's stuff happening right outside their door. And so they had become a product of that environment because that was their normal. And so they just brought that to the school with them thinking that that was the same, right? Exactly. You know, you know most of my students had been incarcerated. Because I don't know a lot of people understand that if you ever look at that Diane Sawyer special, what it really was, was a three-way merger of a high school. They had closed two high schools in the city and they had merged all of the children into the school. So it was the most uh, crime-ridden area in Philadelphia. All the drug uh, trafficking came through that particular community. High rates of murder, parents incarcerated. Uh, siblings dying every single day. So they were so traumatized. So they believe that this particular building, I'm not even going to call it a school, was a place they were just supposed to go and hang out. Right. It was not a place that I was supposed to go learn anything. I was just supposed to go here and hang out. Once I told the young people that that was no longer the case, that you are no longer going to come here to, uh, to hang out, and this is what we're going to do. And this is how we're going to change this environment. At first, the children didn't believe me. Right. And I'm, going to, I'm not going to lie, Jeff. I got death threat threats. They threatened to kill me on the way home from school. Mm. I was so scared one particular day. And I came home and told my children. And my children actually saw it on TV that I had been threatened. Because they fought against me and changing the environment. Right. Once they realized that I was there to transform this place into a school, they came along and they listened. It's, it's, man, this is so right down the, 
the, the lane of what we teach. We teach a lot of the biology of the brain and the psychology of, of change and change resistance to our clients. And, and what I, what I find is if you want to change the outputs, you got to change the inputs, but that that's going to, there's going to, that's going to cause some resistance, physical resistance in our minds and in our bodies. And this idea that you were able to go in there and say, okay, listen, they're coming from an environment where, where any, it's, it's the wild west. I mean, any, anything goes any given day. And then they're just coming to this school and they're, they're just bringing that environment into the school. And because they've never had discipline or rules or systems, then they're going to do what they want to do. And my guess is they probably had a lot of people come and go in that system who couldn't really change that system. So they thought they were in control of that system. And what I loved about your message is what, there's a couple of your catchphrases I want to get into here in a few minutes, but if you really want to, if you really want to love somebody well, they want the discipline, but you got to lead them. And, and this is what I loved about your, your, your catchphrase that if you're going to lead, lead, that's one of your, that's one of your catchphrases, right? So what, 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 how did you rally a team together to come in here and say, listen, this is not good enough. And, and we've got, how did you find enough like-minded people who weren't terrified <laughs> to help go with you? Good point. Actually, I was assistant superintendent for high schools in Philly prior to going to this particular school. And so uh, it, it, I had 52 high school principals under my charge and 61,000 children. So I, I was able to meet a lot of people along the way. And so when I decided to step down from this particular job and take Strawberry Mansion, um, because I couldn't find a leader to go into Strawberry Mansion. Not that I wanted to leave my assistant superintendent job. I loved that job. But when I was put in the charge to find a leader, I couldn't find a leader. So I chose to leave my job to go and run this school because there's no way I were going to allow these children to go into this merger without a leader. Right. And on my travels, there are people that I come across because this is my third school as principal and that I did develop a team over time. Now, there are some people that I asked to join me, and then there are some people that I told them that I just couldn't do it without them. And because they believed in me and my leadership style, they followed me into this school. I always believed, um, Jeff, that if you're going to lead something, lead it. Yeah. Lead it. So don't, you don't sit there and let people run it around you. You be the face of the place. You be in charge. You step up and you lead the people using a team. As your driving source. So this team I developed, they were scared, Jeff. I'm, I'm, I'm not even going to tell you any different. They were petrified. The teachers that came into the school were petrified. I had parents. I had spouses come to me and say to me, Ms. Wayman, I want my child or I want my husband or wife out of this school. But because they believe in you and this mission, they won't go. But I'm scared. And so there are many a times that I had to either convince a, a teacher to leave because their spouse was too afraid, or I had to make the spouse understand that we were on a mission here to change lives and this school was no longer going to be dangerous because we were going to work together as a team. But everyone was frightened in this particular place. I can imagine. And I know so, so many of us don't even have a relative anchor point of comparison, right, to this you're walking into, you, you, we think we have a bad day when, you know, a customer tells us no, or when, <laughs> and you guys are walking into your job every single day where it's, it's, it's literally life and death, not just for you, but for the kids and, and that environment. And so to, to be so committed to leading because you're so committed to your why, uh, that's, 
I think should be inspiration for all of us out there to, to think about. And you and I talked about this in the pre-show and we talk about it on the show all the time is, you know, when you know your why, your what becomes the vehicle. And, and sometimes you don't choose the vehicle and sometimes you do. In your case, I, I, it's kind of comical sometimes because I think you were looking all around for the leader. And when those doors kept getting shut in your face, history has always told me that sometimes I'm supposed to just look in the mirror and stop looking out the window. <laughs> right? Exactly. And I think that's what God was saying. Okay. Hey, Linda, it's you. It's you. Step up. Let's go. It's time to do something about this. And I had a mentor once tell me, you probably heard this expression. When it comes to leadership, Jeff, you either lead, you follow, or you get out the way. Or get out the way. Those are your three options. Those are your three options. <laughs> All right. And, and, and I, you know, I always thought, knew I was a leader. I didn't think that this was going to be my particular task. But when I did hear God's voice say, I, you can't find anyone because you're the one. Go <laughs> right. in there. And I'm like, I'm supposed to go in there? Right. It turned out that it was me. And I do believe that, like you said before, Jeff, your why is what drives you. Why do you do this? People ask me all the time, it's Wayman, but why do you do this? I said, because I am a firm believer that I was put on this earth to get as many children out of poverty as I can. I believe it, Jeff. I, I just, I actually believe that. Yeah. And I realized that the only way for me to do that is to make sure that children have a education and a quality education and to put a caring adult in their life that cares about what happens to them. That's so good. And we have so much responsibility. So this idea of trust uh, is something that's paramount. And we talk about it all the time. I, I, I like to say that the, you know, the, there's one universal language and yes, it's, it's, it's really love, but it's built on trust. So the universal language of trust is so important. And, and how are you able to earn the trust of the students who came out of such a horrific environment to the point where they, they stopped looking backwards and started looking forwards? Because that takes a lot of trust. That's a good question, Jeff. And it all, I believe, is because I, I did what I said I was going to do. I modeled what I said I was going to do every day. When I said to them that I was going to create an environment in which they could live, live grow, and go to school— and hold everybody in the school accountable for their job, they saw that I meant that. When they came to me and said to me, Ms. Wayman, we haven't had a football team in 50 years. Mm. Do you think you could get us a football team? And I was able to do that. So when I started to do the things that I said I was going to do, I remember this one kid was in the lunchroom one day and this one kid was messing around. This kid said, oh, Ms. Wayne was a fraud. Ms. Wayne was a fraud. And then all of these kids came behind that kids. Oh, no. Ms. Wayne is not a fraud. She does everything that she says she's going to do. Mm. And so from that point on, I just started to get the trust of all of the children. And that's how it started. It's so good. And I think we talk about this in just general relationships in, in life is is when people believe that you care about them, really truly care about them, you know, more than you care about what they can do for you, um, then they'll start to trust you personally. But then when you prove it by walking it out and show them that you'll do what you say you'll do, then that's the credibility piece, right? That's that trust, so connection and then credibility. And it, what I, I love about this is this is applicable to anyone listening. It doesn't matter what your lane is you're in right now. It's you got to care about the people that you're serving. 
because all of us are put on this planet to serve others. So what's your lane? If you're in sales, you're serving your customer. If you're a teacher, you're serving your students. doesn't matter. We're supposed to serve people. But to serve them well, you got to care about what they care about and show them that you care about them. Then you got to do what you say you're going to do because that's when they start to believe you actually care, right? Exactly. They have to see it, Jeff. You know, we can say all day long that we care, we care, we care, we care, we care. But kids know when you really care. Right. And people know when you really care because it's something about your heartbeat. Mm. It's something they can feel inside of you. It's a question that you ask them every day. It's a, 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 a sentence of uplifting that you mention to them every day to show that you really, really care. And once they realize that you really do care, sometimes, Jeff, They'll do it for you when they won't do it for themselves. Isn't that amazing? Because we're like that, right? We have those people that inspire us and we'll do stuff for them that we wouldn't even do for ourselves just simply because of them. And that's, that's really good. So um, all right, I'm going to get to it. I'm going to pivot here and talk about another topic that I think I, I love as part of your platform, part of your message. We joke around a lot in the business world that, um, and I told you before that, you know, problem solvers rule the world, right? It's one of my big beliefs that my papa taught me. But in the business world, and I think in life in general, the world's full of professional problem pointer outers. There's a lot of people who are really good at pointing out the problem, but not a lot of people who are really good at actually helping you fix it. That's right. And you got this expression. It says, so what? Now what? And this is exactly what I tell people. I'm like, the world's full of problem pointer outers. What are you going to do about it? So tell me where that expression came from and then and what's your philosophy around it today? Well, really, it, 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 for, it came from different sources, right? I mean, first it started with um, just uh, teachers complaining about everything. You know, Ms. Wayman, but did, did you see the test scores? But did you know, Ms. Wayman, when I first went to Strawberry Mansion, do you know? that only 3% of the kids are proficient in reading? Do you know only three are proficient in math? And they kept telling me every horrible statistic out there. I mean, Jeff, it was so daunting. And then finally I said to them, so what? So what now what? And so, <laughs> and so what are we going to do about it? And so the staff looked at me and I said, we can't erase the past. Yeah. There's nothing we can do about that. But we can forge ahead for the, for the future. So every chance that I get, whenever they brought me a problem, so what now what? So what now what? What do we do now? So the teachers, the students, and everyone knew, if you were going to bring me a problem, you had to bring me the now what part. That's great. Right? So And it just caught on. It just caught on. And that's uh, well, that's that, that's a money phrase for the audience today. If you're out there listening, you can throw you can you can continue to be a problem pointer outer, and you can even sit and throw yourself a pity party for days on end around the problems that you're facing in your life. Uh, but at some point, you're going to have to stand up and step up and say, "Now, what are you going to do about it?" Right? When it comes to change, exactly. Because you know, until you go to the now part, you're frozen, right? And you're only talking about the problems. And you can't move. You have to move yourself to the now. What, what do I do now? Now, sometimes, Jeff, I would tell my staff, these are small steps. Sometimes we can't take big steps, but we can take small steps to get us to where we have to go now. And so that's one thing the audience had to understand. Now what? Now what? Now what is the phrase of the day also? I love that. And I think in your world, it sometimes it's, it, you can... You can, all, you can almost cast a too big of a vision at, at times for people where they feel like 
they can't, I can't change the world. The principal Wayman say, well, okay, well, let's start by changing the menu on the left, <laughs> right? And, and incremental change leads to transformation. It leads to trend. When people would ask me, I remember if, if Derby Mansion, they said to me, well, Ms. Brandman, how were you able to get this school off the persistently dangerous list your first year there when it had been on the list for five consecutive years? And I would say to them, working hard day by day by day by day, holding adults accountable for the job they were paying to do, loving children. But I would always tell them, it was one system at a time, mm. one system at a time. And then you look up and then the data comes back and you're off the list. We didn't go Jeff, at first to say to ourselves, we want to get off the persistently dangerous list. That wasn't our vision. Our vision was to have a safe learning environment. And when we looked up, we were no longer on the list. Yeah, that, that's another really good insightful point is, is this, in, th in this case, you could easily look myopically down and say, well, the goal is to get off the persistently dangerous list. No, the, the goal, the vision here is to create an environment where these kids can grow up to believe that there's somebody better than they've been told they are so that they can accomplish everything that, that they've been destined to accomplish. That's the vision, right? That's the vision. The result is when you create an environment that allows that to happen, guess what? You get off the persistently dangerous list. There it is, Jeff. <laughs> right? You put it perfectly. You know, you, and, I, and I'm working with principals now, and I do work with principals now, and I always tell them, what is your vision? Yeah. Like, stop talking to me about, well, when I ask you your main thing, you tell me, well, I'm trying to recruit teachers. No, 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 no. What's the vision? Because if you aim for the vision, the little things are going to happen. Right. And they yep. go, wow. So it, it, it doesn't seem like rocket science, but yet so many people are, are, are have been taught and trained that uh, it's almost like that minimalistic problem solving view of, okay, I just got to identify a problem and then I'm going to talk to people, figure out how to fix it. You say, no, it starts with the vision. Then you work it down into the mission and the purpose. And then and incrementally you start to put in steps in the system that can let incremental change lead to transformation. And by the way, to the listeners out there, everything we're talking about that we're using, we're using uh, Principal Wayman's examples of her school and the transformation with teachers and students. This goes for your life. It goes for every individual, right? No matter what it is you're, you're hoping to do with your life, it's, it's what is the vision for your life? Who are you looking to that's helping inspire you to, to, to really where you feel that, that twinge inside of you say, hey, that's what I'm called to do. Find that person that inspires you create the vision for your life, and then work backwards to those incremental things that you need to do every day to, to achieve it. Exactly right. I would always tell my teachers and my students, close your eyes. Close your eyes. What do you envision? What do you see for yourself? And then we're going to try to create what that is, you know, and then we're going to do it step by step, goal by goal, goal by goal, and then we're going to get there. And so that's what your audience has to understand. Dream up the best vision they can for their lives. Close their eyes and aim to see it. And once they can see it, just start doing it goal by goal by goal by goal. And then eventually, Jen, they will get there. I'm a firm yeah. believer in that. I've seen it. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. And the, the other big piece, too, here, I, I want to kind of start to pull it together with this one is, is that so many of the kids that you helped over the years did not have that role model. They did not have that person. They did not have a place to even see what was possible. 
until you came into their life. And so for people listening out there, this is a twofold comment and then question. It's who is, who is that, that light for you? Who are you looking out towards to say, that's the person who makes me better and I see hope in them? And then who are you then turning around and being the light for? And so what are your thoughts on that? Like, like having that mentor, that vision, that person, find them. If you don't have them in your life, go find them, but then turn around and be in that for somebody else. You have to find that person or that spiritual being. For me, yeah. I follow God at this point in my life. My mother, my biggest mentor is no longer here that I thought on earth. And so now I say to myself, why am I here? God, what do you need me to do? And then I go about trying to do that. Now, when I work with kids, you know, I, you know, I don't get into my spiritual being of what I'm doing, but I remind them that I was put here to support them. And I'm being guided by a larger force to help them. And I hope I answered your question, Jeff, but that's, that's. Yeah, no, that's great. That's, that's great. That's what I think is sometimes we get so mired into our own self-preservation about our own issues and our own challenges and our own problems that we stop looking out at who we can help. And somehow when you start to look at who you can help, everything else starts to come to you. Everything starts to come to you because this it's, it's everybody was put on this earth to help somebody. Right. All of us can be a caring adult in a child or another adult's life. And we have to always be looking to see what word can I say to a person to make them feel better? How can I serve this person in a different way to make their journey a little bit easier? I just believe we're all put here to do that, Jeff. I, I couldn't agree more. And Here's a, here's a big question for you as we start to wrap up is, so I've got two daughters and a son. I got an older daughter and my youngest daughter is our princess Priya. We adopted her from India when she was two and a half and she's seven now. And so my oldest daughter, Gracie is 19 and, and my youngest is seven. What would, cause I know you also have a passion for, for women, for women stepping up and really leaning into what they're, what's they're capable of. And my oldest daughter and I talk about this all the time. Uh, and, and I might try to encourage her to, to not just look at status quo and let the world tell you who you're supposed to be. You be who you're supposed to be and go make a difference. So for those little girls, like, like big girls, like Grace, and then my, my little girl, like Priya, what would you say to the, to the females listening out there today that feel like maybe the system's set up against them or they can't, they can't accomplish whatever they or set to do because of this, that, or the other? What would you say to encourage them? Well, I would say the same thing I said to my two daughters. And I have two daughters who are very different from one another. But I tell them, again, that they can do anything they put their mind to. I tell them, there are no shortcuts. You're going to have to work hard. You're going to have to do all the things that you have to do to get there. But then if you do all that you can, then you let your spiritual life or your God or whatever take you the rest of the way. But I tell little girls, don't, don't, don't believe the hype that just because you're a girl, you can't do it. Don't believe that just because you're a girl that you can't lead. We are the best leaders in this country. And I tell them that they are here for a particular purpose and you go find it. I tell my daughters that. I've told the hundreds of girls I've taught over the years. I even ran an all-girls school once. And I told them, 
Don't no, nothing limit you, and the only thing that can limit you is you. That's what I tell them. Mm, that's good. So good. So I hope uh, I know my oldest daughter listens to this. So I hope she really wrote that down because I hope so. I want Principal Wayman to be one of her new lights out there. She can follow you because uh, she's got a high ceiling. Good. Okay. La- last comment I want to make is one of the things I loved about your your story and just your philosophy is can you tell the audience the message that you left the students with every day on the announcements about love to make sure that they that they never forgot this one principle this is your this is your third catchphrase what is it oh jeff and this is the one that has touched so many children in so many ways every day i would say and remember if nobody told you they loved you today you remember i do and i always will and when I, when, when times got very difficult in that school, I would repeat it every day. Remember, if nobody told you, and when I would ever forget to say it, Jeff, they would remind me, Miss Wayman, Miss Wayman, you forgot to say it. And I would mm. run back to my office and make sure I would say it. And my teacher would say to me, Miss Wayman, you should see their faces when you say that. And then when I would receive cards from teenagers who are in the 12th grade and say to me, you're the only person in my life who has ever told me that you love me. I actually couldn't believe that. I knew that that meant the world to them. And so I said it over and over and I still say it today. That's incredible. And I think that it's, it's so motivational for, for me. Again, we get on the treadmill, we wake up in the morning, we go through our to-do list and we just hit the ground running. And sometimes we forget that, that there's so many people out there that a kind word, a gesture, whether it's your own children, sometimes we forget to tell their own children the very thing they need to hear, right? Uh, or, or, or just the stranger on the street, that concept of speaking that love to somebody. You just don't really understand the impact it can have long-term. And you've made an impact on so many kids' lives by investing in them with that love that is going to turn them into people that they never even dreamed they could be. So on behalf of humanity, <laughs> thank you for your mission. Um, and I want, I want the audience to be able to go and support you, learn more about you, and, and, and understand how they can either have you in to speak or support your nonprofit. So tell us a little bit about both ways that they can engage with you. Okay, they can actually um, reach me at um, principalwayman.com. Um, and that's my organization, my consulting firm, where I um, usually um, go out and work with principals and teachers, and I do a lot of motivational speaking. And that's principalwayman.com. And my nonprofit is called Currently Trending. And the uh, web address to that is www currently hyphen trending.org. And this is an organization that I am very proud of. And it the main goal of this organization is to make sure that people that live or young people that live in a neighborhood with 35% of the students graduate from high school increase that graduation rate to get them out of high school so they can avoid a life full of poverty and they can avoid incarceration. So that's currentlytrending.com. So, so is that current? So I want to make sure I got this. So currently hyphen trending, is it .org or .com? .org. .org. Okay. So it's currently-trending.org for her nonprofit and it's principal Wayman, W-A-Y-M-A-N.com for your consulting and speaking and, and the ways they can engage with you that way as well. Is that right? That is absolutely correct, Jeff. Perfect. Well, I, listen, I tell you, I, 
I love this part of my job. I get to meet people like you. And I, I leave like I'll be so fired up for the next two weeks just from this conversation. <laughs> this, this conversation, and I know our audience feels the same way. So, uh, on behalf of our audience and anyone who will listen to this in the future, thank you for sharing your gifts and your talents with our audience. But more importantly, for sharing them with the world. Thank you. Can I just leave your audience with the same my same slogan that I left my kids with every day? Let's do it. And remember, if nobody told you they loved you today, you remember Jeff does. And I do too. And I always will. Have a great day. Awesome. Thank you so much. What a way to end. Have a great day as well. Thank you, Jeff. Bye-bye. Hi, my name is Sarah, and I want to tell you about my podcast called Can I Offer You Some Feedback? I'm a business consultant and executive coach with over 20 years experience in change management, leadership development, and naturally providing feedback to high performers. My podcast is for those of you who have a complicated relationship with feedback, whether giving, receiving, avoiding, or seeking. Feedback is essential for our development. In each episode, you'll hear from real people across industries with their ideas, perspectives, and best practices on feedback. I'll also be sharing business bites with you, simple explanations of organizational tools, management techniques, and leadership philosophies that will help you and your businesses thrive. You can listen to Can I Offer You Some Feedback on your favorite podcast app or learn more at evergreenpodcasts.com.